again want to greet you in the precious name of Jesus this evening. We want to talk again a little bit about pride and how it comes out in our lives before we get into the main topic of for discussion this evening. F.B. Myers said once upon a time, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. I find now that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other, and that it is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. And then we have to go down, always down, to get his best ones. In Christian service, the branches that bear the most fruit hang the lowest. Remember our verse from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, where it says that God is speaking. He says, to this man will I look, even to him that is of a... I'm trying to quote it from memory now. Poor and contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. A humble spirit attracts God's attention. A person who is prideful, and that's something we all struggle with. Don't try to tell me you're, you're free of that completely and that you don't fight with that anymore. I know you do. We, we all struggle with that. We all have situations in life that tend to lift us up in pride. Now, occasionally we crash, and uh, we moan and groan and are depressed and whatever when that happens, but uh, it doesn't take long until pride rears its ugly head again. So we want to look at a couple other things, other ways that pride manifests itself, and you probably notice that some of these things overlap and that no one, and if you look into it carefully, you'll realize that no one of these is peculiar to a certain person or, you know, that you're just stuck with one. Uh, the devil tries to get you into pride several different ways at once. And he doesn't really care how he gets pride into your life as long as he can get it there. So tonight the, we have two more that we wanted to look at. This first one is rebellion. And to me, that's a very serious thing. And that's this idea of lifting ourselves up in pride and believing that we, you know, this, this carries over into some of the other things of the know-it-all uh, coming across as a know-it-all or we're unapproachable and that sort of thing. But it, it just boils down to a rebellious spirit. One that is not interested in submitting to authority that believes that they know everything there is to know. Um, they want to tell authority, don't tell me what to do. <coughs> Believers are admonished to subject themselves to the laws of the land. Wives are told to submit to their husbands. Workers are encouraged to be in submission to their bosses. Most of all, believers are encouraged to be in subjection to their spiritual authority. It says in Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
And how much easier uh, church life would be if we would all submit one to another and to the authority that God has set in our life. Peter also said, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. 1 Peter 5. A lack of submission to the authority that's in your life is ultimately a lack of submission to God. I remember many years ago, as a young boy, there was kind of a group of young people that left our church. Beyond that, they left God. But they tried to tell people, they said, yeah, we're leaving the church, but we're not leaving God. And I look at that group of young people today. My sister was one of them. And the mess that their life is in. And there is no, there is no, um, you know, in many of their lives, there's not, not even a recognition of God. So sad. A rebellious spirit and desire to do things our own way and go our own way and what it does to us. There's a poem that I want to read. Possibly a couple of you have heard me read this before. I don't know. But... I don't know, it just speaks to this situation of bowing to authority or submitting to authority. Let's say it that way, submitting to authority. So often we get the idea that if, if we just didn't have any authority in our life, we could really show people how it's done. We could show people how well that we could manage life on our own. Now that's, a lot of times that's done by children or teenagers, those that are still at home. But even as we become adults and we're out on our own, you know, we're, we're, we think we're free, but then we find out that, oh, there's still authority in my life. And we chafe under that and wish that it would go away, not realizing that that authority hold, helps to hold us in place. This is a poem that was written by John Newton, the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace. It's called The Kite and Its String. Once on a time a paper kite was mounted to a wondrous height, where, giddy with its elevation, it thus expressed self-admiration. See how yon crowds of gazing people admire my flight above the steeple? How would they wonder if they knew all that a kite like me can do? Were I but free, I'd take a flight. And pierce the clouds beyond their sight. But ah, uh, like a poor prisoner bound, my string confines me near the ground. I'd brave the eagle's towering wing, might I but fly without a string. It tugged and pulled, while thus it spoke, to break the string. At last it broke, deprived at once of all its stay. In vain it tried to soar away. Unable its own weight to bear, it fluttered downward through the air. Unable its own course to guide, the wind soon plunged it in the tide. Ah, foolish kite, thou hadst no wing. How couldst thou fly without a string? My heart replied, O Lord, I see how much this kite resembles me. Forgetful that by thee I stand, impatient of thy ruling hand, how oft I've wished to break the lines. Thy wisdom for my lot assigns. 
How often indulged a vain desire for something more or something higher. And but for grace and love divine, a fall thus dreadful had been mine. We know how a kite works. You pull on that string, what happens to the kite? Does it come down? Oh, if you pulled on it hard enough and long enough and enough string, yeah, it's going to come out of the sky. But, but that's part of kite flying is giving that tug on the string and, it, and the kite actually goes higher. It goes more up above you. Maybe flying low and you pull on the kite and it, it soars and goes higher and higher. And if we would see the authority in our life as strings to help us grow and produce fruit in God's kingdom instead of seeing them as things to be chafed at and, and we wish they would go away. If we could see that, how much better, how much how much better our life would be. One other type of pride I want to talk about yet this evening is spiritual pride. That holier-than-thou mentality. The idea that we have it put together spiritually. And I hope you are really doing well in your Christian life. That you are spiritually, you're just a giant. You're just growing by leaps and bounds in your spiritual life. But you know the people that are doing that, that are really growing in Christ, realize how much more they need to grow. And they don't come across as knowing it all because they realize that, yes, they may be growing well. They, they rarely think that, though, because they realize there's so much more to know. There's so much more to, there's so much that I can be better at in my Christian life. I can do so much better at this. But when you come across people who think they know it all spiritually and have that attitude that they've got the last word, that they are spiritual giants, they're probably weak and frail spiritually. God detests self-righteousness and spiritual pride. And Jesus was angry with the Pharisees because of their false piety their outward facade of holiness. They were no less sinful than others around them, but they acted as if they were premier role models of sanctity. However, Jesus had the folly to say to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside you are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. We can have a tendency to be lifted up in spiritual pride, to sit smugly on our bench and smirk at someone down the bench that we think does not measure up at our standards. To look from church to church and, and put people down because of some supposed spiritual betterment that I have in my life that church over there doesn't have or that person doesn't have. And then there are the people that fall in this category too that are always hearing a word from the Lord. There's a super spiritual types. Every other phrase is a Bible verse. No, and there's nothing wrong with using Bible in our communication. But when it comes across as a holier than thou attitude, it's spiritual pride. 
those people that hear a word from the Lord and they're they're trying to go beyond what the Bible says oftentimes if you study their spiritual walk it is often characterized by instability by compromise or even outright disobedience but they're very spiritual and they want you to know it they consider themselves to be at a level of spiritual maturity at which they have not arrived pride's a terrible thing it makes us think of ourselves better than we ought to think and until we are willing to look at ourselves and see ourselves as God sees us. To be like the publican that said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Regardless of where we've been and where we're going and, and all that, we still see that in relationship to the holiness of God, I just don't measure up. But God can forgive the sins. God can can blot that out, and we're, we're thankful for that, but it should still keep us humble in nature. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Now, uh, uh, let's see here. Rich young man comes to Jesus and he talks to Jesus about what can I do to be good enough to go to heaven? That's my words. And Jesus gives him some admonition there and he says, oh, yeah, I'm good there. I've done those things. I'm well on my way there. Is there anything else? And Jesus says, uh, yeah. If you really want to really want to do what God's will is for your life, sell what you have and give to the poor. And uh, follow me. You shall have treasure in heaven. Uh, that's really what you need to do. Because Jesus knew the part of his life that he hadn't uh, allowed God to have control of. But he, it says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. He says uh, about the camel going through the eye of a needle and that for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, it's, it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle. And we're not sure exactly what all that refers to. But it says in verse 25 that the disciples were amazed at that. Wow. How can anyone be saved? Jesus said, with men it is impossible. But with God, it is. Uh, anything's possible. Okay? Now notice verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? What do we get? You ever hear that attitude from your children? <laughs> All right, Dad, what I get if I do this? My children knew how to say that. Peter said it here. He says, we followed you. We've stuck right with you, with your program. What shall we have, therefore? 
And Jesus says. He gives them some things, some rewards that he would uh, gladly bestow upon them. And on those that would follow him besides the disciples. But in verse 30 he says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And I think he was trying to warn them that it's not quite the way you think it's going to be. Peter was obviously questioning Jesus here and with the idea of making personal gain either in this life or the next by his um, association with Jesus. And then Jesus in chapter 20 gives another parable. For a title this evening, we could call this The Mathematics of Grace. And I have one more story to read. <clears throat> it's getting dark, and nervously she paces in her modest home. She is worried. Nervously she sweeps the dirt floor from one side to the next. She stares into the darkness. It is getting late, and I... I'm sorry. It is late, and she begins to pray. Oh, God, oh, God, where is my Joseph? Where is he, Lord? It is getting late, and I know he didn't find work today. I went to the marketplace, and I saw him still standing there late in the afternoon. Oh, Lord, where is he? Has something happened to him, or is he too ashamed to come home again empty-handed? Her prayer is broken by a tug on her dress. It's her five-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. Little Elizabeth asks, Mama, where is Daddy? Why has Daddy not come home yet? Is he bringing us something to eat? Mama, I'm hungry. And with that, the door burst open and he says, Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Rebecca. Prepare the table. We have a feast. Look, I have bread. I have cheese. I have figs. And for the two women in my life, a little bit of honey. Joseph, where did you get all this? I know you didn't work. I went by the marketplace and I saw you standing there late in the day. He said, The most amazing, the most marvelous thing happened to me today. I was standing in the marketplace waiting for someone to come by and hire me. The day was getting late and many had given up. Others had gone to work and just a few of us were standing there. I just couldn't come home empty-handed again. I couldn't stand another night just lying in bed when sleep would not come. The growling of my empty stomach could not drown out her words, Daddy, I'm hungry. I was almost ready to give up when around the 11th hour the most unusual thing happened. A fellow came up and he asked us why we weren't working. We said, no one has hired us. He said, I'll hire you. Come on and work. It was late in the day, but a few pennies was better than nothing at all. So I went and worked in the vineyard. There were, few, there were people there who had been working a long time. You could tell they were tired and hot and dusty. We worked for only an hour. Then the landowner gathered us together to pay us, and would you believe he paid us first? The ones who had only worked an hour, not those who had worked three hours or six hours or nine hours or twelve hours, and would you believe he gave us wages for an entire day? We worked one single hour and we were paid for an entire day. I was so happy. I was so joyous. I ran to the marketplace and bought all this food. Doesn't it look good? Isn't it wonderful? We shall have a feast tonight. As I was in the marketplace, I heard some of the workers who had worked longer than I had grumbling. They were just downright mad. I didn't say anything. I just came on home. I just couldn't wait to get home and spread this feast before your eyes. Let us gather around the table and thank God for the favor he has bestowed upon us. Joseph, may I ask a word? Yes, honey. I'm curious. Why are there just three loaves instead of the customary four? And are my eyes deceiving me? It looks like someone has cut off half of the cheese. Well, you're right. I hope it's okay. But on the way home, I thought of the widow Sarah, and I stopped by her house and gave her some of the bread and cheese. And wiping moisture from her eyes, Rebecca said, 
Oh, my dear Joseph, my kind and generous Joseph, you know that it's more than all right. Let's bow and thank God. Someone's imagination of a story based on the parable in chapter 20. Some questions to ask yourself as we look at this parable. As you are a faithful Christian servant of God, what do you expect your reward will be? Maybe you don't think about rewards, right? Ah, I don't worry about the reward. I'm just so happy being a Christian for Christ to just... Ah. Come on, you've thought about the reward before. I have. Now, serving Jesus has its rewards in day-to-day living. There's a reward in the fact of all the... I think of all the things that I miss out on that an ungodly world gets that they wish they didn't have. And because of the Christian lifestyle, I miss out on all those bad things. That's just part of it. That's part of the reward. But Peter back there in chapter 19 says, Lord, we followed you. What do we get? So as you are a Christian, faith, uh, faithful Christian tonight, what do you think your reward is? I don't think it's wrong to think about the reward. Number two, another question to ask yourself. Are you content with the blessings that God gives you today or daily? Are you content with that? Or does it depend on how others are doing? Does it depend on what other people are getting? I saw a skit one time I was very impressed with. You know, you can get Coke in cans that are only about this tall. And then there's Coke in cans that are bigger and, you know, other things like that. And the skit starts out with a person coming up that represents Jesus Christ, and he hands this girl, I think, or six ounce, six ounce can of Coke. We'll call her Maria. He says, Maria, this is just what I want you to have. This is for you. And Maria is so happy because she, Jesus gave her something. She is so pleased, and she's walking around rejoicing in that can of Coke. And then she meets someone else. And Jesus had given that person a 12-ounce can of Coke. And Maria's not happy anymore. Then she meets someone that got a one liter. Oh, my. And then the fellow with the two liter. And that six ounce can of Coke doesn't look very good anymore. See what happened? Her joy was ruined because she's comparing herself with what other people are getting. Now in the skit, Jesus told her, this is just for you, this, this, this is for your needs, this is just what you need. I don't know about Coke, but anyhow, you could use something else perhaps in that case. <laughs> something more healthy maybe. Alright? Another question. When others are blessed with material and physical blessings and we are not, how do we respond? Kind of along the same line. 
And here's another one that we don't really want to talk about. When you are mistreated by someone, what do you wish God would do to them? You ever thought about that? Well, I wouldn't do anything to them. You know, Jesus said, God said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I'm non-resistant. Not that, no, I wouldn't do anything to them. But God, you can go ahead and feel free. Take them on. Take them down a notch. Fix them. I'm behind you, Lord. When we are mistreated by someone, what do we wish God would do to them? Okay, let's look at some of these verses here. We'll be reading a little ways, then discussing it, and then going on like that. For the kingdom of heaven, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers unto his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them to his vineyard. Now, we see the householder going out. The householder is God. That, that's the, the comparison here. That is, uh, that is who that is to be compared to. And note that he's very personal. In Bible times, in this type of a situation, usually a steward was the one that was sent out, and the owner, he stayed in the background, and he really wasn't that involved with the day-to-day -day things. But it shows here that this householder, the, the vineyard owner, was very involved. He was personally involved in the lives of his workers. And he called the first set of laborers in, and he entered into contract with them. That's the only group he entered into contract with, just his first group. And he sent them into his vineyard, verse 3. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Now, they started the day at 6 o'clock in the morning. So there was those that started working at 6 o'clock in the morning. There was those that started at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And this last group started at 5 and only worked for an hour. They weren't expecting much. How did this process work in Bible times? It's kind of an interesting situation there. <clears throat> it was actually cheaper for a farmer to get his work done this way. Now, he ran a risk of having poor help, but it was only for a day, and he didn't have to ever hire that person again. Now, a lot of times these people that were in the marketplace waiting to be hired were, they were a strange group of people. They might have a very shady past. They might have been criminals of some sort. They were oftentimes lame or crippled in some way. And they lived from hand to mouth. This day's wages that he paid them was enough to secure the food for a day. Now, if you were careful with how you spent your money, 
It probably stretched farther than that. Actually, these people were cheaper than keeping slaves. Slaves had to be maintained year-round, uh, fed, clothed, and sheltered. All you had to do with these people is pay them for the day that they worked for you, and then it wasn't your responsibility anymore. And yes, the daily wage was just enough for to keep body and soul together. What kind of wages do you make? We, we get paid better than that. We like to make enough money so that there's something to put back. There's something that we can give to others that are poorer than we are. These people work for very, very little. Okay, let's go on to verse 8. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard, again, a very personal approach here. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a day's wage, a penny. They received every man a penny. Now notice what happens here. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. Notice that the Lord of this vineyard pays the last labors first. He did it for a purpose. Maybe Jesus told the story that way for a purpose, trying to get this point across. If they had paid them last and he had done it quietly and secretly, maybe those guys couldn't have kept it secret anyway, maybe the first people would never have found out. I don't know. But he did it openly. He did it in front of the other workers who were tired and hot and dusty. And, and oh my, can you imagine what those men thought that worked all day? As they watched those men that worked only an hour receive a whole day's wages. Wow, he's feeling generous today. I bet, oh my, we, we work 12 times as long as they did. Let's, let's double that. Let's go by at least a multiple of 10. He may pay us 10 times as much as we thought we were going to get. Their hearts were probably lifted up in joy and happiness and their good fortune that was about to happen. And maybe it didn't crash right away, but as they watched group after group get paid, and they were all paid the same, a day's wages, over and over. And finally this last. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And, and therein lies a problem within our hearts, is that we tend to grow up or grow in, our, in the world in which we live. It's very easy for us to adopt an entitlement mentality. The world owes me something. Life owes me something. Especially when things have went ill for us. Suppose we've lost a child. Death is, God has called a child away from us. Or a partner, or... Um, some other issue has happened in our life. 
And we tend then to have this entitlement mentality that because of the bad things that have happened in my life, I am entitled to something more. The church needs to take up the slack and just... Um, I don't want to work anymore. I'd like them to pay all my bills. and I, you know, There's all sorts of ways you can go with that. Instead of being thankful for what we do have and the grace of God that is extended to us, we end up with a mentality, uh, entitlement mentality. Let's go on to verse 11. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. It wasn't fair, was it? It really wasn't fair. And see, this parable is about the grace of God. And I'm so thankful that the grace of God isn't fair. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But they, they were concerned because they looked at what they had done, where they had come from, the, their background. And let's, let me read some more of my notes here. The other religious people, let's talk about this as though they were religious people instead of laborers in a vineyard. Those that were there at 6 o'clock in the morning, they worked all day long. They were born into the Christian faith. They were baptized into the Christian faith. They went to Sunday school. They went to youth group. They went on street meetings. They passed out tracts. They sang in the church chorus. They served on the church committees. They came to church every Sunday. And they knew in their hearts that God owed them. God, you owe it to us. And how can that person that just got saved and now he's on his deathbed? It can't be all the same. I'm certainly going to get a much better reward, at least in heaven, for serving you all my life. Right? Right, God? Remember what Jesus said. In verse 30 of chapter 19, he says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And he says it again in verse 16 of chapter 20. So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, if you are chosen. Those who were given a full day's wage for less than a full day's work were grateful they realized that they didn't deserve what they got. And to them, it was a gift, a wonderful gift from the owner. They didn't look at it that I have somehow earned this gift. A gift isn't something you can earn. A gift is a gift. Wages are earned. It was a surprise, a wonderful delight. And there are Christians that you will meet, and I hope we're one of them, who feel that God's generosity to us is unearned. I am just so, I'm rejoicing in the fact that God has blessed me so much. 
And it always puzzles the world around us when we display those types of feelings and those attitudes because they look at our life and they realize that it's not perfect either. My nephew runs an electrical business and he has a man, that, a helper, who is from the community. And they had worked together for quite, I don't know, maybe six months, I don't know how long. And one day, Matt, my nephew, was telling me, he said, today is not a good day. He said, you know, things are not going well. I don't know, I don't remember what was happening in Matt's life. They have a, a son and possibly also a daughter that has, um, is allergic to all sorts of foods and things like that. And they've, they make trips to children's hospital and things like that. But he just mentioned that. And the other man was amazed and surprised. And he said, oh, Matt, he said, I didn't know, I think he said Mennonites. He said, I didn't know Mennonites had bad days or days that didn't go well. And they'd worked together for quite a while. So I I chalked that up to Matt's uh, character that the man did not realize that Christians could have bad days days that didn't go so well, in our eyes at least. But, but when we have a gratefulness for what God has given us, and we realize that the gift of God is not something we can earn, it's a gift, it's a surprise. And we stay in wonder and awe of what God has done in our lives. Those people that were in a contract with God, they felt that their wages were deserved, earned, that they had done something to require this. And I don't think it's a good idea to to look at this situation and say, well, maybe we need to let our children sow their wild oats and and get out in the world kind, and then maybe they'll come back and it will just be such a wonderful experience for them. No, we just need to teach thankfulness and that anything we receive from God is a gift. It is not earned. As you look there in verse 11 and 12, where they murmured against the good men of the house and what they said, I wonder if they were the only ones that grumbled. Were the ones that were in, that started working at 9 o'clock, that were hot and tired also, were they staying around to see if the ones that worked all day could change, change things a little bit and maybe they could get in on a little bit more money? I don't know. We do know that that first group was the only ones that entered into contract. The others were told that they, the man would pay them what he felt was right. Maybe all of those felt that they had received a gift that was undeserved. I hope everyone else was thankful in that group of men that worked that day. I hope so. What did the man say, the Lord of the vineyard say in verse 13? But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? 
Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. It's kind of a strange mentality when we try to tell God how he should hand out his grace to other people. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. And part of our problem is, is that we're so used to figuring accounts and figuring how things are and trying to make things equal in our material worlds that we live in. Yeah, we live part of that. And we, we try to get our checkbook to balance and everything to come out right and that there's enough money to cover all the bills and stuff like that. And it's, it's a balancing process. But we carry it then over into our attitudes towards our fellow men, and we think those accounts need to balance also. Because as I have worked harder at being a Christian than you have, I've been around longer, I've been a Christian longer, somehow I need to receive a better reward for that. I've been faithful through, and we go back to the older brother. See that same mentality coming through in the the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother says, you know, these many years have I served thee and I've never transgressed your commandment. It's about grace. And the grace of God is a gift. And when we think we can earn it, we make the grace of God of no effect. Jesus' story makes no economic sense and that was his intent. He was giving us a parable about grace, which cannot be calculated like a day's wages. The employer in Jesus' story did not cheat the full-day workers. No, the full-day workers got what they were promised. Their discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace. They would not accept that their employer had the right to do what he wanted with his money when it meant paying scoundrels 12 times what they deserved. Who do you identify with in the parable? There's a question for you. When you read this story in the Bible, who do you identify with? And I'll admit, I had to study this a long time to get the proper attitudes and views about it. Because I could, I could identify with these people that worked hard and worked hard all day. I thought I could at least. I thought, you know, I see where they're coming from. What, what is this thing about? Many Christians who study this parable identify with the employees who put in a full day's work. Rather than the add-ons at the end of the day, we like to think of ourselves as responsible workers and the employer's strange behavior baffles us as it did the original hearers. We risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. None of us gets paid according to merit, for none of us comes close to satisfying God's requirements for a perfect life. If paid, get this, if paid on the basis of fairness, we would all end up in hell. So do you really want what's fair? Do you want the wages that you've earned? No, 
but just don't pay them quite so much. I want to get a little more than they do. God dispenses gifts, not wages. And if we would get what we deserve, we would all end up in hell. And if we could just maintain that mentality from day to day as we experience the grace of God working in our hearts and lives and see it working in our brothers' and sisters' lives. And we should be rejoicing with them as we see the grace of God. Maybe, maybe we see the grace of God working in their life in a way that it's never happened in ours. Are we jealous? Are we disgusted that God didn't see fit to treat me like he is treating them? You know, God's grace is just what I need, you need, we need for every minute, every hour, every day. We don't get a, a, a bunch of it and it, it, we put it in a grain bin and we bring it out when we need it. We don't, get, we don't use grace that way. God supplies us with grace for the moment. For every situation that comes along, there's enough grace. Are we jealous when others receive that grace? I'm glad that God is a uh, gracious God. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. And he's willing to reach into our lives and change our lives. And, he, and if we'll let him, he wants us to experience his grace in our lives. But we have to ask him to anoint us with that grace. We have to ask God to be merciful to us as sinners. As Christians that are faulty less than perfect beings. And we have to realize that the way God pays in the way, or not pays, but the gifts that God gives are not according to man's thinking. They're according to how he plans it. And for me to question God about the way he doles out grace to other people, that's not for me to do. Isaiah chapter 55 Verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. God is speaking there. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That can be disconcerting if we're going to maintain the thinking of those that worked all day and worked for wages. But I am very happy about it because I want to be part of the group that received it as a gift and is thankful for it. 